From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. It started with a job. $500,000 to be a trade envoy in New York. Now, an entire state government has become embroiled in a scandal over job appointments and how they get made. As Australia prepares to implement a federal anti-corruption body, in New South Wales, the state that first put in place an independent anti-corruption commission, we're learning a lot about why we need more transparency in politics. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the job offer that threatens to engulf the entire New South Wales government. It's Tuesday, August 16. Rick, this story, it's become about a lot more than just one man, but that is where it begins, with John Barillaro, the former New South Wales politician. So let's go straight to him. What is he saying about the position that he's found himself in? Well, we got a little bit of him last week when he was called to testify in front of a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry. Regret, surprise and despair. John Barillaro wanted to set the record straight. Over hours of evidence, he said he's not corrupt, it wasn't jobs for the boys and he wished he'd never applied for the New York trade role. And then he was meant to be back again on Friday but called in sick. Um, But what we do know is from his own mouth, he said he feels like he's the unluckiest man in New South Wales. It was fortuitous that it got on. So you are the luckiest person. Oh, mate, if, you, if you've lived the hell, if you've lived the hell that I've lived over the last six, seven weeks, now I'm the unluckiest. And he described what was, you know, once a sort of dream job for him and the process around it as a shit show. If I knew what I know now, I wish I never had applied. If I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have walked into what was a shit show. And I'm going to use those terms, I'm sorry to say, sure. because the trauma I've gone through over the last six, seven weeks has been significant. But what started as a scandal about Barillaro, the former Deputy Premier of New South Wales, actually getting this cushy job, uh, has now wind out and and caused an avalanche of revelations about how appointments have been made in New South Wales full stop, particularly around these overseas postings, which are known as senior trade and investment commissioner roles. And it's it's opened the door to potential independent commission against corruption hearings uh, and resignations across both government and the public service. Mm. Okay, so... How did John Barillaro end up here at a parliamentary inquiry feeling like the unluckiest man in the world? How did it begin? Maybe we should start with the job in New York. So about two months ago, it was announced that Barillaro was actually going to be taking up a posting as essentially a trade envoy in New York on a $500,000 salary package. It's a big number and that raised a lot of eyebrows. So then it emerged that there had actually been a woman who was supposed to get the job before Barillaro got it. In fact, the New South Wales Public Service wanted a a woman candidate because so many of the trade commissioner jobs were held by men. John Barillaro was named last week as the state's trade commissioner to be based in New York. The Premier says it wasn't a captain's pick and that there were no suitable candidates in an earlier round of recruitment. The former Deputy Premier created the role while he was trade minister. A key public servant has been forced to admit it was Mr Barillaro's office that ordered the plum position be made vacant after someone else was given the job worth half a million dollars a year. And the question became, how did Barillaro, this late entrant in the process, who was also um, one of the ministers with portfolio responsibility around this area, how did he, when he left Parliament, get selected ahead of the female candidate and what was going on in the background? Mm. So how did he get the appointment? 
So in the first round of applications for this job, there is a star candidate. That person's name is Jenny West. And she actually ends up getting the job as the trade commissioner in New York uh, to the point where she's actually offered it verbally by her boss, Amy Brown. Now, at the same time, John Barillaro, who's part of this portfolio, takes a keen interest in the way these appointments are made. And he starts fishing around via his senior policy advisor to get a brief done on how the appointments are made and whether they could be converted to ministerial appointments. That is, a minister could just handpick someone without the need for cabinet approval. And when he decides that he wants to go down that route, he gets his office to prepare a cabinet submission to essentially seek to overturn the way these appointments are made, make them ministerial appointments, and that has a really crucial impact on Jenny West, who, bear in mind, has been given a salary package for this job but has not yet signed a contract. And what that does is it immediately puts that whole process on ice. Amy Brown tells her that they can't proceed until Cabinet has actually considered this Cabinet submission, which has the effect of meaning she can't sign her contract. In the space of four weeks, I went from having been appointed to the role of the Senior Trade and Investment Commissioner for the Americas to potentially not having a job. And, of course, when Cabinet finally does consider all of this, they approve it, and then Amy Brown goes back to Jenny West and says, by the way, they approved it, we're killing the job. And that has the effect of spilling the job and meaning that it is now, anyway, it's back up for grabs. And Barilaro, according to his former Chief of Staff, Mark Connell, was very interested in that particular position. Now, Mark Connell uh, recounted a conversation he claims to have had with his then-boss, John Barilaro, uh, in April 2019. Now, bearing in mind, Barilaro denies this conversation. He refutes it, are his words. Mm -hmm. But Connell says that Barilaro allegedly told him after he came back from a ministerial meeting talking about, you know, how they were going to set up these overseas postings again and said, this is it. This is the job for when I get the fuck out of this place, quote, unquote. So now, of course, Denny West's out of the running. There is a new round of interviews, a new selection process for the same job. So John Barilaro puts his application in through the recruiter, NGS Solutions. He's offered the job and, of course, he's just waiting, itching, itching, itching for it to get announced, knowing that there'll be some blowback. It gets announced. There's a lot of blowback. And he never got to take up that job. Right. So instead of going to New York on a, a half a million dollar salary, John Barilaro has ended up in front of a parliamentary inquiry, which is asking all sorts of questions about the details of the appointment. So many questions. And although the focus so far of the inquiry has been this really messy affair, or shit show, Barilaro's language, the field of inquiry has actually expanded to include the entire Senior Trade and Investment Commissioner network, especially the agent general position in the United Kingdom, and there's more on that. So this, the focus is expanding, the questions are expanding, and this threatens now to expose a lot, not just about how the trade roles are appointed, but about what has been put to me as a culture of ministerial intervention. And in fact, particularly in the kind of triumvirate of three positions in the government, which were held by the then Treasurer Dominic Perrottet, the then Trade Minister Stuart Ayres, and John Barillaro as the Deputy Premier. So things are starting to get a little bit dicey, a little bit heated. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day. 
summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, Rick, we've been talking about this inquiry into John Barillaro's appointment to a job in New York, but as him and others have been giving evidence, the scope of the inquiry has expanded, and it sounds like there are all kinds of other issues for the government as a result of this. So can you tell me more about what we're learning about other appointments that have been made? Yeah, so as this expands and the inquiry lifts the lids on other appointments, we're getting this really concerning portrait. And the job as the UK Agent General is a really striking example. And this has really come out of the testimony of Amy Brown, who in herself is a fascinating character. Now, she's the head of Investment New South Wales, as we've established, and she's been in the eye of the storm because officially it's her job to hire these positions. She is the employer, and so she is, in the word of the law, the final sign-off on who does and does not get positions. But, of course, she does not act alone in any of these things. She seeks a lot of external advice, as you would. So the candidate for this UK agent general job, there were a few candidates, but there was a late entrant. This one was Stephen Cartwright, the former chief executive of the New South Wales Business Chamber, known as Business New South Wales. Now, Brown, bearing in mind that Investment New South Wales had only just started as an entity, so she's just come in as CEO. The very first thing she has to deal with is the fact that Treasury had been recruiting for this position and Stephen Cartwright is in the mix. And so she was immediately briefed by the recruiting firm that Cartwright was demanding what she said was an eye-watering salary package of about $800,000. That's $313,000 more than Amy Brown herself makes, which is a technical but really important point because it would actually be illegal for her to hire anyone with a higher pay band than her own position. So I guess the really interesting question here is how could Cartwright, in his right mind, ask for such a crazy high salary? And the suggestion by some people in the inquiry, and it hasn't fully come out yet, is that perhaps he was told he could ask for it by a mystery person or persons. So these were all issues that Brown had. And she told the inquiry, I do believe that the candidate was using the deputy premier and the treasurer, bearing in mind that it was Don Perrottet at the time, and the treasurer's name a lot. I do believe that the, the candidate was using the deputy premier and the treasurer's name a lot in terms of... Um, he thought that he had an understanding of what terms he'd be coming in on. So that was a view that, sorry, the, the, you're, you, you're negotiating in April, mm. and from as early as April, either to you or to the agency, did I hear you correct? The recruitment firm, yes. The, the, the candidate was invoking the names of the Deputy Premier and the Treasurer? Yes. Okay, well, do you know... Okay. Um... Now, when she called then-Treasurer Dominic Perrottet's Chief of Staff for advice... Brown was given the strong opinion, her words, that the salary Cartwright demanded was justified. Now, he, in this again, I'm quoting her from the inquiry, he tells me his view that the salary would be worth it or, or relate his view anyway, but he couldn't tell me or direct me what to do with this candidate and I was very clear on that, she said. 
Um, he tells me his view that the salary would be worth it um, or relayed his view, but he couldn't tell me or direct me what to do with this candidate, and I was very clear on that. Okay, so it was more advice or opinion for you to consider... Strong opinion. Strong opinion. Or was it given emphatically or mm. yes. was it emphatic? Relatively. Okay. Okay, and so, Rick, when it comes to accountability, where is it that responsibility is falling? Because someone like Amy Brown, she's a public servant and it sounds like she's caught in the middle of some competing interests here. Yes, I mean, uh, public servants, as we all know, are meant to be meant to be fiercely apolitical. And Amy Brown is in a very interesting position because she's very senior and she's making a lot of decisions, but she's also caught between a rock and a hard place. And it actually comes out in some of the evidence where, you know, when she had to can that entire first round of interviews and Jenny West was dumped as the candidate, Amy Brown had to email the recruiter and, and say, essentially, can you please ring every candidate and say this process is over? I'll deal with Jenny myself. And then she says, you'll appreciate that most of this is outside of our control. And so she's constantly dealing with what is the letter of the law. And to give her her due credit, she knows the details. But I think she struggles a little bit with the pressure that was coming from outside. So what we know already from this process, which is not finished, um, and I suspect has only just begun to ask some really spicy questions, is that Stuart Ayres, who took over the other ministerial portfolios when John Barillaro retired from Parliament and was the then Trade Minister, he has been essentially forced to resign uh, in relation to this hiring process, in particularly with his conversations he had with Amy Brown about John Barillaro's appointment. Late last night, uh, Minister Stuart Ayres informed me that he would resign from his ministerial positions and as Deputy Leader of the New South Wales Parliamentary Liberal Party. The draft review that I have seen raises questions. It raises questions in respect uh, to the Ministerial Code of Conduct. He, of course, denies any wrongdoing, but the reason he resigned was because there was a draft report from the Graham Head, former Public Service Commissioner, review about this process that suspected he may have breached some ministerial guidelines. The other interesting thing, and this has been put to me by a few people, of course, no one really knows what's going on in the dark dungeons of the Independent Commission Against Corruption, but it sounds like they have already taken an interest in these revelations. Certainly, I know that people have already been to the ICAC to make some voluntary declarations. So, you know, one source with knowledge of all of this told me that they expect a rush of people making voluntary declarations to the ICAC, essentially to cover their asses, which was their quote. So there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes at the moment. And, of course, we've got another hearing of this accountability committee inquiry on Thursday. And I guess we'll just wait to see if we get to hear from John Barillaro again. So, Rick, by the sounds of it, this is not the end of this story and it seems like the further that it goes, the more people get drawn into it. And I wonder ultimately whether you think this is something that might actually affect the stability of the New South Wales government because we've started to talk about the ICAC and hearings there spelt the end of, of the last Premier's political career. So is this likely to be something that will continue on and, and begin to to have impacts for the current Premier, for Dominic Perrottet? I, I would certainly argue that they already have. Um, I mean, if you think about it from the politician's perspective, the ICAC is the boogeyman of New South Wales politics. And yet, for whatever reason, a lot of MPs don't seem to change some of their behaviour, even where there are perceptions involved, where they might want to tread a little more carefully. It doesn't seem to alter too much about how things are done in practice. 
And of course, you'll remember, obviously, Gladys Berry Chicklin was taken down um, by, I, I, I say taken down, it was her own actions. The ICAC investigated these things. They also, you know, uh, Barry O'Farrell famously lost his job because he forgot about a bottle of Grange. Uh, Arthur Sinodinus was caught up in the same inquiry for the ICAC. Neither had findings of wrongdoing made against them. But both of those men are, in fact, referees for John Barillaro in this job. And so I suspect we have just started to see the beginning of the way this kind of web fits together. In fact, one of the people who's familiar with this whole process who I was talking to last week said to me, it's a lot like the Marvel Cinematic Universe in that you've got a lot of characters all crossing over into different projects and all popping up kind of again and again and again. So it's going to be very interesting to see where this lands. And I think um, a lot of people are paying attention. Well, we'll speak to you again, I'm sure, about it all, Rick. I hope so. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, it was revealed former Prime Minister Scott Morrison was sworn into several ministries during the COVID pandemic in secret. Reports in the News Limited Press claim Morrison was sworn in to act in the Health and Finance Ministries as well as the Resources Ministry. Governor-General David Hurley released a statement on Monday confirming he swore Morrison into several ministries but said that it wasn't his role to make the swearing in public. And a man who allegedly fired a gun inside Canberra Airport on Sunday has faced court. The 63-year-old was charged with three offences, including firing and possessing a revolver and intentionally discharging the gun, causing another person to fear for their safety. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.